0: Today, our guest is another seasoned tech leader, Tim Olshansky from Zenput. Welcome, Tim.
1: Hi. Hi, Carolina. Thank you for having me.
0: Uh, thanks for joining us. Please tell us a bit about yourself and what you do. Uh,
1: sure. So I'm Australian, if you can't uh, tell from my accent, but I've been out in San Francisco in the Bay Area for about nine years now working uh, in the technology industry Currently VP of Engineering at Zenput, where I'm working on changing the way food safety uh, happens in the world. So we're, we're doing some interesting things there. Leading the teams, building out the organization, working on all the things that you would expect from somebody with that title, I guess. And prior to that, I was the CTO of a company called Aconex. We were a large public construction technology company, working again, similarly, on safety and quality type things, in addition to project management, collaboration problems in the industry. Uh, we were about a thousand people acquired by Oracle last year, uh, and I moved on to join Zenput, which is a, a startup where I get a chance to be a bit closer to the action again with the team and build things out from scratch all over again.
0: Nice, it's great to hear that you have so many different experiences. Our topic today is probably an interesting one to a lot of our listeners because it's an exponentially connected world. So more and more of us have to learn how to organize remote development teams. What are some of the biggest challenges in, in managing remote developers?
1: I think it varies by company, by stage, by you know, the individual team. You know, the way we define remote also can vary. I think there was a recent uh, blog post I came across, and I forget the name of the author and the blog, uh, and I feel bad for that, Uh, but he did a great job of describing the way to categorize some remote work, right? synchronous versus asynchronous, remote versus distributed, and so I think the problems for each of those areas or the challenges that each of those parts of remote work uh, differ. My experience, so my prior role at Aconex, our organization, was maybe about 250 uh, globally. We had teams in San Francisco, Denver, Sydney, Australia, Melbourne, Australia, Munich, Nottingham, not far from London in the UK, Paris, uh, Bangalore, India. So we had lots of different team members. A few were full-time remote, and so didn't work out of an office. A few were co-located in offices, but of course, across all those time zones, There was a lot of difficulty to get the whole team to work together. My current role, our engineering team, is just under 25 or so, give or take. So a lot smaller, uh, Mm -hmm. 10 times smaller, in fact, than the last team. But we're growing in, you know, right now we're predominantly co-located, which certainly allows for things to work more effectively. But we do have some distributed team members that don't work in an office. We also do have some team members that are based in different cities in different countries, and they have to, some of them go into an office together, some of them don't. And what i found is it kind of depends on the experience level of the engineer, whether it's first-time remote or they've been doing this for a while. I think something that often gets overlooked is remote work is definitely exciting, it's interesting, but for the first-timer, full-time remote work can be quite lonely and people often forget the social connection they need from from either their colleagues or coworkers. And so I think there's a a feeling of connectedness that is a a challenge to build, making somebody feel like they're an important part of a team, an important part of a company, often I think falls by the wayside. Not only that, but then ensuring that they can see the vision of the organization and feel like they they can contribute to the overall goals. Again, as an engineer working from home, or frankly, any any worker working full-time remotely on their own you can sometimes miss how you're doing something that connects you to the big picture. Uh, So that's obviously important for managers to stay on top of, right? If, uh, If a manager works in an office, but they have team members that are fully remote, ensuring they're doing a good job of explaining why what that person is doing is important, keeping them connected, all of those sorts of things. I think the other thing maybe more individually for the person is having career progression and having an opportunity to take on either leadership more technical leadership, let's say, more challenging big projects, or managing a team, and I think that's one of those things that's very nuanced. Management, in particular, in a remote organization, if there's a large office presence but some people are fully remote, you know, historically for me personally, I've said in those environments the manager has to be on site in the office mm-hmm. because the manager acts as a information conduit, uh, keeping that person connected. You know, there's a large co-located presence and the person who's responsible for engaging everybody together is outside of the office. I've seen that not go particularly well. It's not impossible, but I think that's a big challenge and it takes this particular type of remote manager to do that. Without management experience, you know, that's definitely difficult. On the technical kind of more challenging projects and things like that, again, I'm sure many of the listeners have maybe experienced this as remote workers. You know, the work you're doing sometimes doesn't get seen as visibly throughout the company. Of course, there's ways to address that, but I think that tends to prevent some of the career progression. And so people tend to cap out in terms of maybe the career level they reach sooner. And I I don't think that's their fault necessarily. It's the organization to a large extent, but I think it takes work. And I think being a remote employee is definitely challenging. It's more challenging than showing up to an office every day. And it's something that, depending on what the person is looking for from their career, they have to take a lot of more difficult steps than they otherwise would.
0: Wow. It sounds like there are a lot of different kinds of challenges. What are some of your best stories in overcoming these challenges?
1: So, previous role, I had a great team member who was a very, very strong engineer and decided he wanted to relocate. So, he worked in the office, was... A contributor on the team left the office and started to work full-time remotely and was just a good heads-down contributor on the team. Had some kind of larger technical responsibilities on the team that he was able to maintain, but then through some transition, ended up taking on the management of the team. So mm-hmm. he actually had the reverse problem. He was a full-time remote manager with a decent chunk of his team being full-time on-site. Wow. Wow. Right, so uh, as you can imagine, the connection that he had was a bit different. Normally, as like a, as I was saying, right, it's usually the reverse. And so he had to go to some great lengths. Certainly, with my support and other members of the product management organization, other members of the engineering management organization, it you know, was able to ensure that he kept connected. But that was also something that he had to work on constantly. And something he had to be reminded of, I think, to a certain extent. But he did a great job. He kept it going. In fact, I think he still may even be in that role. So,
0: We jumped right into the the meaty part. Let's roll back a little bit and talk about the beginning of a new employee Mm -hmm. and employer relationship. How do you onboard new remote developers? How do you show them the vision you were talking about?
1: Yeah, well, I think there's a couple of things we do as a company which i think is the right thing to do for anybody that's employing you know full-time remote workers and that is we make sure that people get together on site in person semi-regularly so they can build connections and and get to know people so as part of that as you can imagine onboarding new remote team members we get them on site that's usually the first step depending on where they live so for example we have a, a team member in portugal and uh, he's been with us for a bit over a year. Uh, we have some other team members that live maybe an hour away by plane in the United States. So that kind of difference in travel length, duration, kind of impacts how frequently somebody can maybe come out or how quickly they can, you know, make plans to travel. But that aside, forgetting the distance for a second, you know, the first thing I like to do is bring them on site for one to two weeks, have them spend a decent amount of time with the team. We put them up in a hotel or Airbnb, whatever, uh, have them come into the office, go through onboarding. And by onboarding, I mean set up the development environment, spend some time meeting with everybody on the team one-on-one, take them out for dinners, lunches, make them feel like they're wanted and that everybody's happy to see them. I take them through a a number of different things on sort of the, the application, the architecture, the product, the technical strategy, if you will. We've done a good job, and I think this is something particularly uh, in my current company that's been done really well. There's a great degree of documentation. We have a wiki that's kept up really well, and so that makes it a lot easier to onboard. It's sort of a, hey, this is your first week. Why don't you just work through all of the things we have here in this onboarding document that's posted up on our wiki? And that includes things like investing in automating the environment setup so somebody doesn't have to go and tinker figure out why things are broken, whatever else. There's always something that goes wrong, but usually only one or two things as opposed to 50. (laughs) And then, of course, we have them update the documents. I think that's pretty standard. So automate a lot to make it simple to get set up, Uh, have them get involved in team rituals and processes uh, as soon as possible, Uh, have them meet everybody right away, get them involved in small things to begin with, things that are doable sort of on their own, where they don't have to necessarily spend too much time figuring out 50 different things talking to 30 different people to be able to to solve a problem and i think getting that initial set of wins you know some small things that you can say that you've accomplished in the first first few weeks ideally while you're on site i think tends to build that engagement and then on an ongoing basis right well, once they're already in the door i tend to work on you know a 7 day 30 day 60 90 day set of goals to keep them sort of on track and, and working towards the path
0: nice it sounds like a lot of thought went into this process how do you keep a remote team organized how do you keep this engagement and connection you mentioned yep. that you, you have them visit on site every now and yes. then but what are some other things that you do
1: absolutely yeah and, and just having them visit so we we get everybody together uh, once a quarter So every three months, everybody flies together, usually San Francisco at the moment because the bulk of our team is here, but we also do an annual company retreat. So the entire company goes and flies somewhere. I think this coming year in January, I will be going to Cancun in Mexico, which should be fun. And so we're getting everybody together uh, semi-regularly. When we do the regular quarterly get-togethers as an engineering team, basically every other trip uh, we do some form of kind of team building or vision and strategy type uh, meetings where everybody contributes and thinks about how we want to grow as an organization what we want to do other times it's just everybody gets together on site in the same office and works together and uh, we have you know hack days and that kind of thing that's obviously not the regular flow It's fairly infrequent but on a on a regular basis we keep everybody organized I believe clear goals Helps everybody understand what you're working towards. Mm -hmm. Having good rituals. And when I say rituals, I mean things like, you know, if the team follows Scrum, Scrum Agile, they might be doing daily stand-ups. They might be doing planning meetings every week or every two weeks or whatever it happens to be. In our case, we follow uh, Agile Scrum. We we get together every two weeks for planning. We do a regular retrospective. We have daily Scrum stand-ups. So making sure that everybody's sort of communicating and communicating what they're working on, of course. We use Jira, uh, but forgetting Jira for a second, you know, project management tools are pretty important, I find. It makes it clear what everybody is working on. I like to organize teams around a particular backlog of work that makes sense. And so ensuring everybody knows what that backlog of work is, giving them and empowering them to work on the things that have been prioritized. So they don't have to think too deeply around what's next to work on. And then regular check-ins and, and one-on-ones and that sort of thing. So. Me, as a manager, I'll be meeting with them regularly once a week. Other team members sometimes get together semi-regularly. We have training sessions that uh, different team members run sort of once every few weeks to keep everybody in the same loop Mm -hmm. and how things are developing. And so we do a number of different things to keep people organized. But I found that one of the most powerful things is the daily stand-up in a scrum team. Doesn't have to be a 45 minute affair, can be 10 to 15 <laughs> minutes. Actually, we have a really big scrum at the moment, which at some point will break the teams down. You know, we almost have 20 people in this one daily stand-up. Yeah. And we still manage to get through it in 15 minutes. Nice. Just keeping everything focused, keeping everybody on the same page, understanding what's a bottleneck, making sure that people are getting the help that they need, I think it ensures that people can continue to work effectively and the work gets to stay organized and the teams stay organized.
0: Yeah, it uh, it sounds like a, a lot of it is just organized communication. <laughs> you mentioned that you have team members all over the place in the world. How do you balance synchronous and asynchronous work? How do you yeah. handle these time zone differences?
1: Yeah, that's something I think when I was uh, mentioning earlier when I was working with teams across the world, one of the greatest challenges we had was keeping people who were basically 12 hours apart, right, time zone-wise on the opposite side of the world and having them work together. And unfortunately, I think our organization at the time, and ultimately this is to a large extent my responsibility, we didn't do a good job of it. And so what I wanted to do going forward was evaluate the culture of the organization and just be honest about the company's ability to support either fully remote, where team members might be completely asynchronous and almost never speak to each other, versus some form of synchronous you know, work environment. And what we've done today, we kind of have a bit of a, let's call it a policy, but generally guidelines where we try to ensure that the bulk of the team has at least a four hour time zone overlap. For example, for our team member who lives in Portugal, currently he actually tends to work into his evenings. Uh, And so he overlaps with a decent chunk of the morning with the San Francisco team, which is great for him. His lifestyle, it it actually, he loves it. And so what we've tried to do as much as possible is have at least some time throughout the day, uh, at least roughly half of the working hours. We tend to sort of set office hours to be, I think, technically 10 till 6 specific times. So having somebody overlap until about 1 or 2 p.m. Uh, on the morning shift side, uh, or if they're on you know another part of the world or they're traveling or whatever, and they want to work in more in the afternoon on the San Francisco office time zone. We've kind of chosen that for now, given the size of the team, that may shift. I don't think that it has to be that way forever. But what we do is we try to set those sorts of boundaries. So we use that time for meetings. We mm-hmm. try to ensure that only you know a few hours and ideally not every day for synchronous work That's usually meetings, brainstorms, any kinds of live discussions. And then as much as possible, allow the team to work asynchronously or just basically have focus time and not require a lot of real-time communication. We use tools like uh, GitHub for pull requests. Uh, we, We do a pretty good job of communicating via Slack and getting involved as comments on Jira tickets and things like that so that people are able to keep up with the discussion. Mm-hmm. And I think that allows the team, generally speaking, to to have a good balance in the need to you know, be fully synchronous and also be asynchronous.
0: Mm-hmm. You mentioned some of the disadvantages or the challenges you have to overcome. What are some of the advantages of um, asynchronous work?
1: Yeah, something that's great and something I've seen in some of our team members who tend to find time to work outside of office hours because of time zone or, or their schedule. They frankly get more time to focus, right? They have an opportunity to go deep on things. There's fewer distractions. They get into that deep work mode and they can get in the zone naturally. And I don't think anybody listening would be surprised to hear that sometimes offices get loud and noisy (laughs) and people tapping you on the shoulder, despite you have headphones on and things like that can throw you off. And the context switching is expensive. And I think I even encourage my existing team to work from home, at least often once a week, just to be able to filter out all of the background noise, things going on so that they can focus if they need to, to get things done. Because there are certain problems that you need to really just spend six hours and not have everybody bother you so that you can get things done. And I think that's one of the great things about remote work is that you can set really strong boundaries for yourself and allow yourself to focus really effectively.
0: hmm we sort of already jumped into the next question, which is which is how do you make sure that your reports take sufficient breaks and put in enough yep. work and, you know, just the general management side of, of leading yep. developer teams?
1: I think depending on how you interpret the question, what is enough work? Is there enough ever enough work? Right. <laughs> um, I, I wish everybody was working 24 hours a day all the time. No, I'm just kidding. What I try to find is signs that people are either disengaged, burnt out, they feel stressed, they've got too much going on. That's generally how I determine whether that's too much. And also sometimes that also identifies whether it's not enough, right? So not being challenged enough and so they don't get bored, so they do get bored and so aren't able to put things in. Uh, I figure that out through one-on-ones, lots of conversations with the team, see what they're excited and motivated by, see what they're not excited and motivated by, try to find work that will engage them or try to take work off their plate, right? So they're not being too overwhelmed. I think it kind of goes back to some of the earlier things I was saying about keeping the team organized. Ultimately, I tend to focus on the team as a unit, as opposed to individuals. I'm not necessarily looking for tracking the velocity of an individual team member every sprint or looking at the number of commits they make in a code base or the number of tickets they close or any of that kind of stuff because I don't think that, that creates good behaviors or is it particularly good from my perspective for team cohesion? So I tend to look at things from the team perspective first. Like, is the team generally performing well? Is the team helping each other out? Is work getting done? Are we meeting our goals for the sprint? Are we meeting our goals for the quarter? Are we meeting our goals as an organization in terms of our product roadmap and general operations and things like that? And through that lens, I then look, okay, are there particular team members who are maybe struggling a little bit and maybe need some guidance some coaching Are there team members who are working 16-hour days because they're trying to get all of this stuff done where we need to have a genuine conversation maybe with the rest of the organization in terms of what can and cannot be done in an appropriate time frame? I think probably with experience, people understand what they can and cannot do in a certain time frame and will maybe speak up about it a bit sooner. And, And sometimes you just have to except that we work in an industry where results are important. Sometimes work just needs to get done and it may take 16 hours one day and it's a late one, but I make sure that that's never the general state of being. How I stay on top of that as well, I like to have everything from comments on Jira tickets to GitHub discussions to pull requests, commits, alerts from systems, sort of all coming in through a stream in a Slack channel and sort of I passively will kind of flick through and and see what's going on. I don't really do it for the purpose of seeing what each individual team member is doing, but just to see that there's people are talking to each other without me having to get involved in everything and be a micromanager, having the opportunity to allow the team to sort of get things done without having to ask for where is this, where is that, right? Because I kind of have that information. I can go into Jira, I can go into GitHub. Obviously, doing that allows me to see whether somebody is contributing, whether they're maybe struggling, right? Because they've opened a pull request and it's sat there for two days and they haven't really taken any action. I can kind of step in and help them out and see what needs to get done, see it through.
0: We talked some about productivity and I hear that you're using Atlassian software for looking at the tasks at hand. How do you measure productivity if you do at all?
1: I don't... uh, This is something I've been struggling with, right? Because the definition of productivity is a bit of a difficult one, particularly in the software world. Like, does it matter that somebody fixes 100 bugs or implements 10 features if none of those features end up positively affecting the company or or achieving the ultimate product goals? So the first thing I tend to start with is making sure that we're working on the right things. So this is before even looking at what the team is doing as an individual or as an individual. So is the team working on the right things first step Uh, if not try to fix that because all the productivity in the world working on the wrong things is not going to get us where we need to be assuming we're working on the right things the next question becomes well are we working on the right things in pretty much the right way or the wrong way are we doing things that are going to cost us a lot in the long run you know classic technical debt sort of conversation do we have the infrastructure to support the team to be as productive as possible? Is the team having to overcome great difficulties to be able to demonstrate what they've done? And so I try to assess those things as much as possible and take away as many of the impediments to being effective so that the team can just focus on doing the things that they like, which is problem solving, building new things. Once all of that's sort of out of the way, then I start to look at the individual level. So. Individual team members tend to look for a sense that if they say they're going to do something in a certain time frame, with some error, of course, do they get it done, right? And if not, why not? Sometimes folks need to be reminded that they need to be held accountable for what they commit to. Are they performing at least on par with their peers? Are other team members carrying the slack for the whole team? And as a result, that sort of drags down morale. That's I think difficult to measure, but maybe easy to sense, particularly with some experience as a manager, you can tend to see which team members based on the updates they give, based on the proverbial velocity of the team, you can see who's leading, who's lagging, and you can have conversations around that. I also get the team to talk about it with each other as much as possible as well, to give feedback to one another. So if team members feel like certain folks aren't pulling their weight... Instead of it being a management conversation, it's more of a team conversation, which Mm -hmm. I think is better in the long run, because I think anytime somebody has a conversation with a manager about their productivity or something like that, that immediately becomes a, oh no, performance problem, am I going to get fired? And we all have different energy levels at different points in time. Software development or product development, I think, is a marathon, not a sprint, But even when you're running a marathon, there are times we've got to run faster. There are times we've got to run a little bit slower. You've got to manage your energy levels. And that's okay, because we want to be in it for the long run. So I tend to look more for patterns rather than Mm -hmm. one-offs. And if the pattern is one that is maybe a bit concerning, where somebody's disengaging, they're a lot slower than they used to be, and this continues for quite some time, I think that becomes pretty apparent. Consistency is sort of what I look for, but not an overwhelming, constant sprint where they're burning out.
0: So if you do notice a pattern, especially with the remote developers, how do you manage to give them feedback? When do, you, when do you give them feedback? In what setting?
1: There's a lot of different forms of feedback. There's a the type of feedback where it's a small, call it a nudge, if you will, right? A small mm-hmm. shift in maybe how somebody is uh, approaching things. I'll try and do those things as quickly as possible the moment I notice. Here's a way you maybe could have done this better, or here's an alternative way to consider things that would have had this kind of outcome most likely. Maybe you should consider this next time. When it's a more difficult sort of thing, let's just say somebody's pattern of behavior, like I was saying, is trending in not a great way. And the team members are noticing, can sometimes take a bit of time to get to that. So it's not a right away kind of conversation. In those scenarios, like usually the moment I notice, the moment I start to think about it a lot and it becomes something that's on my mind as if I'm the manager for the team, I wanna have that conversation as soon as possible. And the reason I wanna do that is because one, I think it's me personally, I would wanna know right away so I can make a change. Sure. Or if there's something on my mind, I would want to be able to you know, talk about it, right? And sometimes it's not easy to start that conversation, but having somebody else start that conversation makes it a bit easier. And then it's usually, uh, there's a few different classic feedback forms. When you do this, it has this impact on me, so I'd like you to do this differently, right? Or this has this impact on the team, so I'd like you to do this differently. So usually something of that form where it's a bit of a softer conversation, talk to them directly about it. I like the kind of traffic light model for performance. So green light, you're doing really well. Keep doing what you're doing. Awesome. Yellow light. Uh, you know, you're doing okay, but there are a few things that are may require a bit of work. So you know, let's talk about those things. Red light, hey, some things are going really badly, we need to change this right away. And so I don't have those conversations a lot. But often it's a hey, heads up, you, right now, you're not really meeting my expectations or the team's expectations. Let's chat about it and see what we can do to get you back on track.
0: Awesome. You mentioned more towards the beginning of a conversation that you have mm-hmm. set timeframes for meetings
1: for people mm-hmm.
0: who are working just a few hours synchronously every day. Mm-hmm. How do you run your meetings in general? How do you make it fun and engaging and still productive? And and how do you yep. go around these time zone differences?
1: Yep, we have a few different types of meetings. So a fun one, where well, it's actually something we just started doing organically and it's sort of kept up, which I think is great. Daily stand-ups where we're all getting together. That's probably a very well-known meeting structure for most people. We don't do anything particularly groundbreaking there other than maybe we focus on the juror board. So we put up the board. We have everybody talk through what they're working on, where they're stuck, what needs uh, some help. But at the end of the meeting, and we have a few teams now, and each team sort of comes up with a a sound or a theme for, for noises they make at the end of the meeting, you know. From one, in one case, it's a go team and everybody's wooing to add some energy. In another case, I think we make cowboy sounds to get everybody uh, in the right mood. Other meetings, we tend to have a bit more of a formal agenda. So we have like a monthly team meeting where a few days up to a week, basically ahead of time, I'll solicit agenda items, things that people want to discuss, things that need to be on the radar, if you will. And so that will have a bit more of a formal meeting agenda, we'll have times or schedule associated for that um, and and make it a bit more of a a formal meeting, I guess. Not a serious kind of meeting, but still just to keep the meeting on track and set some time constraints so that we don't end up going too far off the rails. In other meetings, planning meetings, again, constant, uh, regular meeting structure. We're focusing on what we're trying to get done. I tend to be pretty militant about not going over time and ensuring that we're using team meetings and team time pretty well because as a manager I spend a lot of time in meetings and I find personally that good meetings can finish on time they don't need to go over in fact good meetings should be able to finish early uh, and meetings (laughs) should uh, and should only really need to be making decisions ultimately unless there's some kind of maybe training session or whatever Another great meeting that we've uh, introduced maybe about three or four months ago is sort of learning and development session where a different team member will go and give a talk on either a book that they've read, which has some interesting ideas, You know, for example, like domain-driven design. Another meeting might be on uh, parts of our code base or what we're trying to achieve with some of the architectural patterns we're implementing. So you know, people, team members will put together a really great write-up that we publish on our Wiki uh, we record the meeting with everybody participating in you know discussions so that everyone can can either watch it later if they're not there i'll also go and create a transcript of the meeting using some online tools and publish that as well so sometimes people don't have a chance to listen to an hour long you know video call but they can flick through a meeting transcript and see what was spoken about if there's any interesting topics they can kind of dive right in there A tool we use for that, which is a great tool, allows you to basically, if you scroll to the right point in the transcript, you can actually play the audio from that point in time. So, you know, you can kind of like zoom in on the things that you're interested in, like hearing the discussion about and stuff like that. I don't know how much the team uses it. I like it. I tend to use it. but uh, And maybe the team doesn't necessarily know that those sorts of things exist, but I found that we've had some new team members start and one of the first things that we've actually had some of them do is listen to these training sessions and some of the other meetings that we've recorded so they can get a lot of the context more quickly than having it be filtered over time through people's minds and kind of passed on to them.
0: Awesome. So one one do meeting. you do you take meeting notes at all or you just use this tool? Yeah.
1: We certainly take meeting notes for maybe more your kind of structured meetings, if you will, or we need to arrive at some kind of decision, you know, we'll take a record of the decision and and whatever else. Um, But for these kinds of learning session meetings like that are more open-ended or brainstorms or things like that, we don't often take meeting notes. And in those cases, it's just far easier to record it and generate a transcript. And then, you know, basically we have the entire meeting, every word that was said on paper that somebody can come in back and read.
0: Wow. Would you mind um, telling us about some of these tools? You know, just like absolutely. communications, project management, what you use for time management?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I was talking about this transcript tool, rev.com, a wonderful tool. There's a number of different offerings it has. We use the automated transcriptions, which are very, very cheap. And so you can create a pretty good transcript of a meeting for very little money. So I found that nobody actually worries about me spending money on that kind of thing too much. Uh, you know, four or five dollars for a meeting transcript is pretty solid for an hour long meeting transcript. So, so obviously, Rev. Uh, we use Jira for project management, Jira and Confluence a fair bit, Slack, as probably most teams these days use. We definitely use uh, Zoom. We have... Uh, pretty good etiquette on jumping on phone calls through Slack or through Zoom pretty regularly uh, as well. I mentioned GitHub that we use for obviously our version control or at least visualizing a lot of it, but we also use it as uh, an internal engineering wiki. So we post a lot of our documentation there. We have a lot of code review discussions in there and and get that going. We've actually implemented, it's a company GitHub bought recently. Uh, It's a tool called Pull Reminders. And so it integrates GitHub with Slack. And so you can get this kind of discussion or get alerted to your name being mentioned or something like that, or a pull request review being assigned to you or something like that, that makes it a bit easier to maybe get distracted, but also to keep on top of what's sort of needed. And then email, of course, there's definitely a decent amount of email. We probably have most of our discussions through chat. Anytime it needs to be a bigger thing, we tend to get into a, a Zoom call. We will use email for maybe uh, less important, but things that require a bit more time and thought. And that's probably the key tools without getting into all of our dev tools and stuff like that that help with some collaboration. Yeah. Um, but I found you know things like Slack screen sharing and collaborative desktop editing, if you will, are pretty solid as well. And so if people are pair programming remotely, Slack has some good tools through acquisitions they've made. Uh, The tool I'm thinking of used to be called Screen Hero, great tool, then was acquired by Slack and has actually been integrated into Slack now. So Slack has become like the centerpiece of a lot of what we do.
0: Awesome. Thank you for for sharing it. It's been a really enlightening conversation. I think we've gone through a lot of what one needs to pay attention to when managing a a team or a remote team or a co-located team. Is there anything else that you would like to add?
1: I think in the context of remote, I think I maybe mentioned it early on, I think remote work is great. I think the culture of the organization has a big influence on how successful remote is or what flavor of remote is. And so just because remote doesn't work for one company doesn't mean it won't work for another company. And it may not work for you as an individual at one company. It may work for you as an individual at another company. That said, I think depending on the type of person you are, remote isn't necessarily for everyone. Some people genuinely want to be in an office and see their peers. And I think that, uh, you know, sometimes we're too quick to jump onto new forms of working and and advocate them as the best possible thing. I've become a bit more measured in some of these things, but I think it's a great form of working. I think uh, being a remote first but co-located team is a really powerful model where everybody is able to work remotely if they want to take a trip and go work from Thailand for a month if they want to, but also the benefits of being together in person, right? When you're co-located to help you build the social connections and be effective together is also quite valuable.
0: Sure. Thank you for your time. I would like to add for our listeners, if there is anywhere where we can find you and follow your work, where would it be?
1: I've actually become less publicly visible over the last little while, uh, unintentionally, I guess, as as getting busy, but I'm very responsive on things like LinkedIn. So I would say if if folks are interested in chatting to me, keeping on top of things, I'm on LinkedIn, can find me, search my name. There's only one of me in the world that I'm aware of. I should come up. I respond to folks all the time. Uh, I think that's the easiest way to get in contact with me in Rare occasions I'll get on Twitter and, and other things, but I think LinkedIn for me is one of the best ways to stay in touch.
0: Sounds great. Tim, thanks for joining us today.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Carolina. And thank you, everybody.
0: Thanks for listening in to today's episode of Level Up Engineering. I am Carolina, and I hope to see you next time. Thanks for staying with us. This was the Level Up Engineering Podcast by Apex Lab. Check them out at apexlab.io. And don't forget to subscribe to our channel, rate our content, and share your thoughts on this episode. See you next time.